Good morning. Welcome to Grace Point. Welcome to all of you joining us online today. Hope that God blesses you in your homes. A teenage son was called by his father to come up for dinner. He was downstairs watching TV. And uh, the dad said, Mike, come up. It's time to eat dinner. Twice after that, Mike was called again to come up and eat dinner, but he was waiting till his show came to an end. And then dad, getting angry, said, Mike, get up here now. And Mike bounded up the stairs two at a time. And his dad said, what were you doing? And Mike looked at him and innocently said, I didn't hear you the first two times you called me. (laughs) So what we see frequently in life is that uh, some repetition is needed for us to hear something or at least respond to it. And I think that's the case also when it comes to our walk uh, with God the Father. I think oftentimes he speaks to us. And whether we do it intentionally or unintentionally, we don't tend to hear uh, what he's saying. And I noticed this in the book of Ephesians, that God is doing some repetition. And especially when it comes to this big principle that he wants us to put off our former life and put on the new life in Jesus Christ. He does an awful lot of repetition. And I think partly because we as frail human beings won't hear that kind of message until we're told it a number of times. I know that's the case uh, for me. And in, in chapter 4, verse uh, 22 through 24, God relates to us this great, big, huge Christian principle that he basically spends the rest of the book of Ephesians uh, making known to us. But here's the, here's the principle. The follower of Jesus is to put off the old self, which is corrupted by its deceitful desires, and put on the new self created in uh, God uh, to be true in holiness and, and righteousness. And so then after this big statement's made to us, it's interesting from that point on all the way through the end of, 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 of chapter 6 of Ephesians, there's these put off put on examples, one after another. And just for the fun of it, I listed them all. This is what I like to do in my spare time. Looking at Aaron and laughing. This is what preachers do in their spare time. But listen to this, because I think God's making a point to us that we're to put off the old life and put on the new life. And here's some examples that are given to us uh, in the latter half of Ephesians 4 all the way through Ephesians 6. We're to put off falsehood, put on truth. We're to put off anger, and then put on self-control. We're to put off stealing, put on sharing. We're to put off unwholesome talk and put on edification. We're to put off bitterness and rage and put on kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. We're to put off sexual immorality, impurity, greed, foolish talk, and coarse joking. And we're to put on thanksgiving. We're to put off darkness. We're to put on light. We're to put off drunkenness and we're to put on the spirit talking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're to put off our worldly concepts of marriage and we're to put on a redeemed understanding of marriage relationship. We're to put off our worldly concepts of parent-child relationship and we're to put on a redeemed parent-child relationship. In fact, we're to put off worldly concepts of relationship in general even to the extreme case of masters and slaves, and instead we're supposed to do all relationships as unto the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And it's like God is making this huge point, and I call this a key principle, and it's this. Put off your old self, the old way of living. Let it die. Give it a funeral. Bury that thing in the ground, whatever it takes, but put off your old way of doing life as a follower of Jesus Christ and put on your new self 
and live as a redeemed follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and engage God in the way you're supposed to engage God. And it often, it often, I don't know how you work, but I know this works for me. I have to hear things several times frequently before I hear them. How about you? My wife would testify to that. She will say something, and literally a minute later, I will ask her that very same thing. Amen? Anybody ever do that to your spouse? And she said, I just answered that question 30 seconds ago. Think a minute. Oh, yeah, you did. And that this is my, my nature not to hear things until they're repeated several times. And now Paul, in the book of Ephesians, is bringing us to this climatic conclusion, and it's a big honker, put off, put on kind of conclusion. So I'm going to give you the big idea, the big thought, and then I'll read to you Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verse 10 through 13. And here's the big thought. We're to put off as though living, uh, as though the physical world is all there is. So we're to put off this idea that the physical world is all there is. We're supposed to quit living just for the here and now. We're supposed to quit getting all bent out of shape when things in this world aren't going great. We're supposed to put off as though this physical world is all there is, and we're supposed to put on the spiritual armor of God and engage in the real battle. We're supposed to do life on a spiritual understanding and and level of of doing life, okay? We're supposed to do this thing called Christianity on the spiritual level. So let me read to you now Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. Listen to what this scripture says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you could take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We're not people of this world, amen? We don't live as though the physical world is all there is. We put off the struggle against flesh and blood Uh, But our struggle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. So here's the challenge for us as Christ followers or the problem identified. Our struggle is out of this world. We struggle against spiritual forces of evil. That's the battle that you and I are called to engage in and to participate in. See, this is an illumination we're supposed to be gaining here from this section of Ephesians. That first and foremost, we're spiritual beings. And we don't do battle against flesh and blood. Our enemy are not other people. Our enemies are the forces of evil. And Jesus is calling you and I to engage and do battle on this level of understanding. Now, we're in a battle with the demons with, and, and the hordes of Satan. So when I talk about demonology and stuff, I know there are a couple problems that you frequently uh, run into when you begin to talk on the demonic side of, of life. One, most people just ignore it, right? We don't think about it. We don't think it's that real. And so therefore we ignore it to our own harm. I'm just going to say that. The other tendency is to exaggerate it, to think there's a demon behind every tree and every problem you have in your life, you're blaming on the demonic. And I want to just say this with all the love I can muster today. Most of our problems are our problems. 
we are sinful, we're unfaithful, whatever be the case, usually that's a source of our problems. But there are times when it is the demonic also. What do you think when you hear the term demonic? What comes to your mind? Some horror show? TV is stuck on this. There's a lot of movies made on this topic. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people form their thought process, whether consciously or unconsciously, from something that they've watched. I just want to tell you, that's not accurate. Amen? It's not even close. Uh, Demonology tends to be a topic of interest to a lot of people. I once had this question asked to me after a service like this when I was at uh, New Hope in Williston, North Dakota. This question was asked to me. A lady, a sincere lady, uh, a a sincere follower of the Lord Jesus Christ came to me after service and she was very concerned and almost, I would say, a little fearful. And she said, Pastor Steve, can the demonic be passed from husband to wife by intimacy, and what she meant by sexual relationship. You know, all you got to do is be a pastor for a while, and you get the, the greatest questions, especially like at the end of a church service. Really? You're going to ask me that here in this setting? And um, I'm not going to answer that question right now. I'm going to leave you hanging on the ledge here for a moment. But what we need to understand is some truths about who is the devil, and we need to define the devil just a little bit. And so if we're going to engage in spiritual warfare if we battle not against flesh and blood and our battle is against uh, the devil, then let's talk about who is the devil for a few moments here and let's define him. And maybe the question that she asked of me will uh, have a ready answer for, for you. So the devil is, I call this the devil is section of your note-taking guide. The devil is a created being. We have to understand that first and foremost. The devil is a created being. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, we're told this. Jesus created all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things are created by him and for him. Therefore, the devil is a created being. Therefore, he is not all-knowing, not all-powerful, and not all present. He doesn't have the attributes of God. He's not on an equal plane with God. This means he cannot read your mind. Amen? He knows human nature. He understands our frailties really well, and therefore he can tempt us really, really in a knowing way, but he cannot read your mind. This means God is infinitely greater in power than the devil. This means that since the devil and the demonic are finite created beings, they can't be everywhere at once. Therefore, they act as a group, as almost a demonic army against the things of God. They work in collaboration that way, okay? And so there are rulers and there are powers, and I'll get into that. Uh, There's this kind of order to the demonic kingdom. Um, The devil is a fallen angel. That's point number two. In Isaiah chapter 14, we're told that because of the devil's pride to be like God, he has fallen from heaven. Point number three, the devil is the ruler of the kingdom of the air, we're told in Ephesians 2.2. He's a powerful adversary. He's not to be taken lightly. He's not on the level of God, but he's a powerful adversary, and we don't want to take him lightly. Ephesians 6.12 that we just read has expanded on who the devil is and how his organization works. 
Um, there's rulers, we're told. That means high-ranking spiritual beings. There's authorities, and that means these are ones that are, are uh, uh, powerful in jurisdiction. They have jurisdictional kind of, of authority. There's powers, uh, lords of the world, and then forces of evil. That means the devil's disposition is that of evil and wickedness and vicious ill will towards God's creation. So the demonic are organized to do battle against the kingdom of God. And we got to just understand, we have a formidable foe that we're facing here. Number four, the devil is an accuser. Revelation 12, 10 says that the devil accuses us day and night before God. Now, I want to clarify something for you. If you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he now is your Savior and your Lord, there is no combination for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you start feeling like you're being accused and you're being judged and you're worthless and you're no good and all that kind of thing, chances are you're under attack from the accuser of your soul, from the devil, and you need to stand firm and rebuke that stuff in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're in Jesus Christ, God doesn't look at you through the lens of your former life and your sinfulness. He looks at you through the lens of Jesus Christ, amen? As beloved son or daughter, stand in the authority of that position and stand against the accuser for you're not condemned in Jesus Christ, amen? Sometimes we don't understand the battle that's afoot. And we need to recognize our foe and stand fast against him. The devil is an adversary and deceiver. That's point number five. John 8.44 tells us that the devil's native language is lies and he is the father of lies. It should not surprise us that we live in a world of lies. Right? That we go on the internet and what we see propagated all over the internet all the time is what? All this falsehood. Don't believe it, brothers and sisters. Just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's true. Amen? In fact, I'm going to say the contrary. It's often the case. It takes a life of its own. <clears throat> I've watched with some fascination some of the thoughts shared on the pandemic and the vaccination and all that stuff over the internet. And I know that it's just not true, but people are believing it because it's on the internet. Don't do that. We live in a world that's fallen and the father of lies has, 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 propagates lies. The devil is a counterfeiter. That's uh, point number six. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse nine tells us this. When speaking of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the devil at that time <clears throat> will deceive many by counterfeit miracles, counterfeit signs, and counterfeit wonders. So we gotta be on guard. Just because something seems miraculous doesn't mean it's of God. And now we're to point number seven. We're promising the Bible that the devil is a defeated foe. Revelation 20 tells us that his destiny is a lake of fire forever. So, in light of this knowledge now and this scripture look into who the devil is, I hope a couple things happen. First of all, we put off our fear of him. And this lady that came and talked to me, she was fearful. She was acting in a kind of superstitious way, watching maybe too many movies. Listen, if you're a blood-bought follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, the devil has no hold on your life, amen? Amen? But the Bible does talk about how we give him a foothold of operation in our life. I'm reminded of Ephesians chapter 4, where we're told, 
Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil a foothold, the topography, an area to operate in your life. So if you and I, as followers of Jesus, if we hang on to what? Anger and bitterness and those kinds of things. It's like we're saying, okay, I'm opening myself up. I'm giving the devil a place to attack me through. That's why the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give that devil any operating room in your life at all. So I would be way more concerned about that issue that's biblically made known to us than if I have a husband who I think is demonic, which is a problem in and of itself. Amen? He may or may All right, I'm not even going to go there. Maybe he's just a bad husband. I don't know. Anyway, but you know, uh, and have an intimacy or something be the means of, of demonic uh, attack, okay? So in short, what Paul is telling us is this. Put off your ignorance of the demonic. Put off your ignoring of the devil. And realize the reality that you are a spiritual being recreated in the Lord Jesus Christ to engage in the spiritual area and take up your armor and get engaged. Amen? Get engaged on the spiritual level in life. So here's our solution or response to the problem or the challenge that began this message. As a redeemed follower of Jesus then... You are to do battle on the spiritual level and stand firm against the devil. You're just engaged. You're, going, you're supposed to see life this way. It's not supposed to be something where you go, well, that's not true and you're ignored or you're ignorant of it and you don't know anything about it. You're supposed to instead realize that we as spiritual followers of God need to engage life on a spiritual level. Makes sense, right? Makes sense, amen? Because that's who we are. The old Nazarene evangelist Bud Robinson as reported to have prayed the following kind of prayer. I like this. Oh Lord, give me the backbone as big as a sawed log. Give me ribs like the sleeper underneath the church floor. Put iron shoes on my feet and galvanized breeches on my body. Give me a rhinoceros hide for skin. Hag a wagon load of determination in the gable end of my soul. Help me to sign the contract to fight the devil as long as I've got a tooth and when I lose that, to gum them. And to me, that, that is... That is the thing. That's, we may not like to hear something like that, but that's the nature of our life. As long as you and I have breath and the Lord Jesus Christ has not yet returned and taken us home, we have a war on hand that we're going to have to engage in whether we want to or not. And we need to be educated in it and we need to be participating in the spiritual warfare that God has called us to. So I want us to begin to do some engagement today. We're going to read out loud 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 as kind of a statement of faith as a follower of Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll take this to a deeper understanding in just a moment here. But read this out loud with me, please. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous and be strong. I love how the truths of the New Testament are illustrated all over the place in the Old Testament. And I'm going to pick up where Pastor Aaron kind of left off um, with his uh, uh, thoughts here as he opened the service today um, in the venue hosting with uh, the Israelites. 
You know, they cross the Red Sea. Well, they get, they get to the edge of the promised land and the, the, the you know, leader Moses is, is dead. And Joshua has now taken the reins and he's called by God to lead the people Israel into the promised land. And I love the exchange that takes place in Joshua chapter 1. It goes along these lines. God says, I'm with you, Joshua. Be strong and be courageous. Be careful to obey all the commands Moses, my servant, gave to you. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Follow closely after these things and you'll be successful. Be very strong and very courageous, God says. Don't be terrified. Don't be discouraged. Be strong and be courageous. For the Lord God will be with you wherever you go. Be strong and be courageous. Does this sound like Ephesians like we just read? God is telling Joshua, I am calling you to battle. Be strong and be courageous. Listen, beloved, hear this. Jesus Christ is in us if we're a follower of him and we've given our life to him. He will never leave us nor forsake us. It's a now word of God to you and I in the day that we live to be strong and be courageous in our Lord Jesus Christ. We're to engage in spiritual warfare with total reliance on God. It's insightful what happens next in the case of Joshua. I love this. So they're going into this promised land. And you, you know, we don't have a lot of details. It's, I wish I could have more details because it's so fascinating. So Joshua's going along and he meets this man with a sword. Like I'm going, where were you, Joshua? What were you doing? So there's man with a sword and Joshua meets this guy with a sword. And Joshua says to him, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, says the man with the sword. I am the commander of the Lord's army. Be strong and be courageous. But it's kind of like what Aaron was saying. Oftentimes being strong and being courageous is being still and letting God do the battle. Amen? So Joshua falls on his face in reverence before the commander of the Lord's army and says, what do I got to do here, basically? And the commander of the Lord's army says this. March around Jericho six times over the next six days. And then on the seventh day, march seven times and let your priests lead blowing trumpets. And make sure the Ark of the Covenant of God's going with them. On the seventh time, when you get done, shout, the walls will come down and take the city. Does that sound like a plan to you? I mean, in chapter one, be strong, be courageous. I'm jacked up, man. Give me a sword. Let me go at this thing, right? And then you get to Jericho, and the very first thing God's basically saying is, no, you just stand there. I'm going to do the work. Being strong and courageous is being still in me and watching God be strong and do the work that you cannot do. And of course, the Israelites are, 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 are obedient to this and the walls of Jericho come down and they just go right into the city. See, we don't war against flesh and blood, but against what? Authorities and powers and every high thing that exalted itself against God. That's our battle. And frequently what God is saying to you I is be strong and be courageous, but be still and just let me do the battle. Call on my name. Be reliant upon me. Quit trying to figure it out. And trust me. Recently in our development time as a staff, we're doing this book, Reflections on Leadership by Henry Nouwen. And uh, I, I, I really like Henry Nouwen and some of the things he has to say. And he was saying he's getting close to 50 at the time he wrote this book, evidently. 
50s in my rearview mirror, guys. I don't know about you. Oh, ways in my rearview mirror. And he was saying, as I got near 50, I began to reflect a little bit on my life. And I begin to realize I'm praying poorly. This is a guy who's a very godly man. I'm praying poorly. I find myself being isolated a lot. And I'm preoccupied with the burning issues of the day. And people were telling me I'm doing great, but inside, I'm not doing so great. It's basically what he said. And I think God is talking to you and I uh, today to first and foremost, we need to have this fervent prayer thing going on in our lives. We need to have an intimacy with Jesus Christ because we're called to engage in the spiritual warfare. And it begins by being really connected to Jesus Christ with fervent prayer, with reliance upon God, not trying harder, being more dependent on God. Okay? Being more dependent on God. And we've just gone through this nasty pandemic, and we're really not done with it yet, but everybody thinks we are, so I'm pretending we are too. And so I like to live in delusion. How about you all? At any rate, so it's still there. It's still happening. But at any rate, I think the natural outcome of that was a lot of isolation. I don't know about you. It's if Kyle was talking about that march and... Oh, Aaron and I, we dreaded Thursday when we did the message. You're sitting here looking at an empty church and a camera. Are you kidding me? That was the most difficult thing we've ever done. It didn't even feel like it was real, you know. And so isolation became kind of this byword. And, and I tell you what, we are called to this collectiveness as the body of Jesus Christ. We are called to be in this spiritual warfare together with other human beings. We're to come alongside each other and hold each other up. We're to, be, we're to engage spiritually in a community kind of way. And I don't even know what I'm saying yet, but I just know we're supposed to do that. We're supposed to do it collectively. Gathering like this today and praying that God's kingdom come and his will be done is a powerful thing to do. Don't ever, ever minimize what that is about. And if you're watching online today, you're part of us. Man, engage. I don't know which one to look at. One's green and one's red. I think I look at the red one. I'm sorry. Look at the cameras. Just speaking my mind, I should never have said that out loud. So I do that every now and then. But if you're at home, you're part of us, man. You engage. You pray. Be fervent in prayer. And I, when I was thinking that, when I heard that about Henry now, and I'm going, God, grace me with a fervency in prayer. Grace me with a preoccupation of the spiritual things that matter. Forgive me for being preoccupied with things that don't matter, like the economic status of our country. Or, you know, should I wear a mask or not a mask? And going on Facebook and letting my opinion be known to the whole world. Honestly, I don't care. That stuff doesn't matter. That's things of this world that are passing away. Amen? We can't be preoccupied with these burning issues of our day that don't matter and don't add up to anything. Instead, we need to be preoccupied with the kingdom of Jesus Christ. See, if we want change to happen, if we want the moral fallout of our country to be addressed, if we want true racial reconciliation, if we really want these issues to be addressed, they're not going to be found with some political executive order. They're going to be achieved when local places like you and I, local churches like we are part of, get on fire for Jesus Christ. And we begin to share the hope we have in him with others. We begin to pray for our families and our neighbors. And the movement of God becomes afoot here locally. And one heart is changed at a time for the glory of God's kingdom. That's what we're called to do. That's where we can make a difference. And that'll affect our nation like nothing else that we can do. Amen? 
pray with fervency. Don't be isolated and be preoccupied with the right things. I'm going to end with a story that I, I like. That's why I'm going to end with it, because I like it. It's one that really speaks to my heart. One of my favorite prophets in the Old Testament is Elisha. In the second Kings chapter 6, we read about this encounter of Elijah with the king of Aram. The king of Aram is declaring war on Israel. But God is giving Elijah these words of what the king of Aram is going to do. And he's going to the king of Israel and saying, here's what the king of Aram is going to do. And he's telling the king of Israel everything that the king of Aram is going to do before he does it. And the king of Aram goes, what's going on here? It's like I must have a spy in my midst telling the king of Israel what I'm doing because he knows every move I'm about to make. And so he starts looking for spies in, in his officers. And one of the officers said, uh-uh, oh king, this is not what's going on. There's this guy, this prophet called Elijah. And he's telling the king of Israel everything you're going to do before you do it. And so the king of Aram has his plan. Let's get Elijah. So he surrounds the city that Elijah's staying in with his chariots and his horses. So I love this moment. The servant of Elijah gets up early in the morning and he goes out and he goes, oh man, that's basically what he says. Look at this, we got chariots everywhere and the king of Aram's all around us, oh no. So he runs to Elijah and he says, oh my Lord, we got problems. We're surrounded by the king of Aram and his chariots. And Elijah says, he doesn't even miss a beat. Greater are they who are with us than they who are against us. And I could hear the sermon going, that's you and me, buddy. Like, what? What are you saying here? And then <laughs> Elijah prays, God, open my servant's eyes. And God opens the eyes of the servant. And he can see, this is our God. This is a spirit thing that we are, are trying to engage on today. And the servant sees the chariots of fire of God surrounding Elijah and surrounding him. And they're all over the hill. And they're all over the city. And he goes, oh, I see. We don't battle against flesh and blood. They are not our enemies. We battle against principalities and authorities and rulers and every high thing that speaketh against God. Amen? That's our battle, brothers and sisters in Jesus. We're called to engage in that battle. Be strong and be courageous for he is with you. And greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Amen? And my temptation this week was to jump right into the spiritual armor. And I thought, we'll lose the battle that we're in. We won't understand the battle. And I want you just to think on what I've shared with you all week. That we're in this battle. And I want you to be in fervent prayer. And I want you to see through the lens of the spiritual and begin to ask God to create in you that kind of eyesight. Like Elijah's servant, we need to begin to see the greatness of our God and the adequacy of our God, amen? And not be preoccupied with the things of this world that are so loud and, and, and want to scare us to death, literally. And that's where I'm going to leave us today. So next week, we're going to put on the armor of God on Mother's Day. If you're a mom, you probably need the armor of God, so come next week.